Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Institute for Government uh, and to Government 2024, which is our second annual conference. I'm Hannah White. I'm director of the Institute for Government, and I'm really delighted to see you all here today. Also delighted to welcome the more than 1,000 people who've signed up to watch us online. Um, and I'm delighted to say we're partnering today with Grant Thornton. Uh, and before I make some opening remarks, I'm very pleased to welcome Philip Woolley, who's a partner and head of public services consulting at Grant Thornton, just to say a few words. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's a great, great pleasure and privilege to be able to make some opening remarks today. Uh, we're delighted to sponsor the AFG's annual conference for a second year. Um, I'm Philip Woolley, a partner at Grant Thornton and head of our public services consulting team. Um, so it's really interesting to do this for a second year, particularly in an election year, uh, where I think we can all expect the policy debate uh, to get hotter um, and hopefully what we will see is um, the politicians bring forward some compelling solutions to the many public service challenges that the UK faces. At Grant Thornton our assurance and consulting terms work right across government at all levels, local government, central government, infrastructure, transport, NHS, social care etc. And we are seeing things in public services at the moment that we've not seen before. Um, we are seeing multiple local authorities issue Section 114 notices and run out of money. Um, five or more years ago, that really was an exceptionally rare event, but we're seeing it um, more and more. Um, we are seeing in the NHS acute workforce shortages causing stress and burnout. Um, workforce shortages currently running uh, at about 9% and 10.6% in social care. So really acute problems. All underpinned by increasing demand and ageing population uh, which are really putting public services under very great pressure. In infrastructure, we're seeing enormous demands for investment, particularly in the regions and particularly in support of levelling up, etc. Uh, and can you continue demand for greater devolution in government structures? Um, so lots and lots of challenges everywhere we look. Um, but we're also seeing large opportunities in technology, automation, artificial intelligence, etc. And we see right across the work that we do, massive ungained potential and unyielded potential uh, around technology uh, and digital. And also opportunities for government to change the way that it works and the way that it procures services. So as we approach the election, um, government's got massive challenges in a very challenging fiscal environment. Uh, nothing like the fiscal environment that we saw in 97 when there was a change. Uh, to a Labour government, so really, uh, you know, the demand will be for real innovation, real change in, in a challenging fiscal environment. So hopefully this conference today will um, we'll start to hear some of those really interesting ideas come forward and the panel that's been assembled today uh, should offer us a fascinating insight. So I hope that everyone really enjoys the conference and we're, we're delighted to support it again. Thank you, Heather. Thanks very much, Phil.
So I'm sorry to have to start by disappointing you, but Wes Streeting is ill, so he can't join us today. Inexplicably, he thought that coming to give a speech at the IFG wouldn't make him feel better. Um, so we're delighted, though, that Karen Smith has stepped in at very short notice uh, to, to speak in his place. <coughs> Before I welcome Karen to come um, and, and give her speech, um, I wanted to say a few words about how I see the prospects for government in 2024, how the IFG sees those, those prospects and what we think should be the priorities for, for politicians of all parties. My starting point is the worry that political parties are not being honest with the public about the situation the country finds itself in. The implications of persistent low growth, long-term underinvestment in public services and significant public debt. It feels as if Brexit cakeism has evolved into a persistent strain of magical thinking among our political classes about the state of the state and the sufficiency of the answers that they're putting forward to fix it. And I think we don't need to look far for evidence of systemic government failure. We've got the Horizon Post Office scandal, which has implicated officials and politicians over the last two decades. We've got the COVID inquiry, which is systematically exposing problems with the state and seemingly endless examples of unethical behaviour by individual politicians, which are repeatedly undermining public confidence in our democracy. And at the same time, ministers seem to have grown used to shortcutting uh, parliamentary scrutiny, and many MPs seem to have all but given up on their role as legislators. Now, unfortunately, I think we can expect to see more, not less, magical thinking in the months ahead, because everything in Westminster is going to be framed through the lens of the looming general election. Um, and we'll discuss uh, that in our panel on, on the general election countdown later. But I think the parties who are seeking the privilege of governing the country don't just need to convince voters that they've got ideas about things they want to achieve in government. They also need serious proposals to change the way in which they do government. Because unless they do that, unless they fix the way that we run government, it will mean too many manifesto pledges remain just that, commitments that don't bridge the gap to reality. So as we enter 2024, I think government ministers, anyone who wishes to become a government minister, needs to temper their magical thinking with a hard, cold dose of reality. And that means acknowledging the difficulty of the uh, diff decisions that they face. It means giving proper weight to the evidence that should underpin those decisions. And it means reforming the civil service, which is so integral to our ability to tackle the long-term challenges that the UK faces. First, then, a word on those difficult choices. Whoever wins the election will face extremely difficult decisions, as Phil was just saying. The Institute's analysis, and we'll be talking about uh, our performance tracker later, shows that current spending plans to which both parties are signed up are a fantasy that would deal a body blow to already fragile public services. Both parties claim that service reform will deliver better performance. But while there's much room for improvement in services, almost all reform will require upfront investment. The next government will need to cut services or raise more revenue to fund improvements or a combination of both. And I'm looking forward to hearing from Karen Smith about how the Labour Party plans to make those choices in relation to NHS and social care. It's unsurprising that the Conservative Party in government for the last 13 years wants to talk up its own record, and it can point to specific examples of progress, the recruitment of 20,000 police officers, increased school spending, and progress towards net zero. But these data points are undermined by broader data on the appalling state of public services, which are annual performance tracker documents in painful detail. 
Meanwhile, on the Labour side, there seems to be an unacknowledged inconsistency at the heart of Labour's policy between its plans to invest in green industries, improve public services and cut debt, all without raising taxes. Keir Starmer recently said that if he becomes Prime Minister, the first lever we will pull is the growth lever. I don't know where that lever is hidden, but I think if it existed, the Conservatives would have pulled it by now. Re-energising UK productivity after years of stagnation is going to take prolonged, concentrated effort, not a tug on a lever. So I think what I'm saying is that current gap between political reality, uh, political rhetoric and reality is dangerous. According to Ipsos, the proportion of people saying they trust politicians and government ministers to tell the truth has fallen to 9%, lower even than in the aftermath of the MP's expenses scandal. If parties promise lower taxes and better public services but fail to deliver either, it will do nothing for public trust in government or politics. So the second thing that politicians need to focus on this year is evidence. Politics is about debate and disagreement, about the direction of the country and about the policies that should get it there. But what should not be in question are the basic data that underpin that debate regarding the state of the economy, of society or the environment. In recent years, we've seen politicians far too ready to undermine the institutions that their predecessors put in place to establish a common understanding of such facts and to dismiss the experts whose job it is to produce and analyse the data. Nor have they done enough to help the civil service develop the expertise it needs to develop good policy. So although it may be convenient to try to win political arguments by casting doubt on the authority of key institutions who produce inconvenient facts, this is a recipe for polarisation and poor policy, as Liz Truss's premiership demonstrated. So third then, I think that politicians this year need to give greater weight to strengthening institutions that provide the evidence that should underpin their policy decisions, and most importantly, the civil service. The UK's public servants have long had a deserved reputation for excellence, but in recent years, the civil service has struggled to reform itself while dealing with multiple domestic and international crises. And politicians have become increasingly vocal in criticising the shortcomings they perceive in civil servants' work, which in turn has had a detrimental impact on morale, on increased churn and damaged recruitment. Now, the Institute's flagship Whitehall Monitor report, which is also published today, demonstrates that the civil service continues to suffer from deep-rooted and long-standing problems that are undermining government effectiveness. As we'll hear later, Staff turnover remains extremely high and continues to harm institutional memory. Real terms pay cuts have hindered the civil service's ability to attract and retain top talent, as have slow and onerous recruitment processes. A worrying fall in staff morale has raised questions about how the institution is run and led. And the government's implausible proposed cuts to administration budgets, arbitrary targets for headcount cuts, and increased reliance on consultants show the inadequacy of workforce planning. These problems are not new, but they are undermining UK government and they represent a decades-long failure to grasp the nettle on civil service reform. Now, I'm realistic about the fact that civil service reform is unlikely to be a major electoral <coughs> issue, but it is integral to any government's ability to tackle the long-term challenges the UK faces. Fortunately, a positive point in my speech, Support for such reforms seems to be growing, albeit slowly, but based on cross-party recognition of the problems. And that was demonstrated, I think, by the broadly positive response to Francis Maud's report last year. And I'm delighted we'll be hearing from him on our civil service panel later. 
I also look forward to hearing from the Minister for the Cabinet Office, John Glenn, about how the government plans to take this agenda forward, and from Nick Thomas-Simmons, the Shadow Cabinet Office Minister, about Labour's plans. We have some ideas of our own, of course. We have lots of existing work on how to strengthen the civil service, including by putting it on a stronger statutory footing. And in February, the Institute's Commission on the Centre of Government will be publishing proposals on how to make the Centre of Government, number 10, the Cabinet Office and the Treasury, stronger and smaller, making it more strategic so that it can really deliver on the priorities of whoever is Prime Minister. So what am I telling you? Primarily that the next election must be about the how of government, not just the what. Between now and the election, voters should demand that politicians evidence their commitment to more effective government. Why? Because with the UK teetering on the brink of recession, we cannot afford not to run our government as efficiently as possible. As systemic problems and demographic trends lead to ever-lengthening waiting lists, degrading infrastructure and workforce shortages, our public services cannot afford another year of short-term headline-grabbing fixes. And our democracy cannot afford a year of personal attacks, trap-setting and scorched-earth tactics that we are told will characterise the election campaign. UK government needs to reform itself, and I think we can't wait till 2025 to begin. Thank you.